Great. So as I was saying, we wrapped up Ecclesiastes, our series on that uh, last week. And uh, next week we'll be kicking off our series that will carry us through the summer up through Labor Day, which will be um, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And so in between, we wanted to pause and preach on motherhood and uh, today and look at a very important passage. I do know that it is a, a, an unusual uh, can be an unusual day with confusing emotions of joy and sadness. I'm so thankful the way Chris, Chris prayed and thankful for him. And, um, and uh, even for me, this is my first Mother's Day without my mother. And so uh, I, I come with this mindful of the, um, of the pain that can surround it and the joy. But, um, but God has a lot to encourage and say and show us about womanhood and motherhood. And I hope we can see that this morning and uh, enjoy this. We are going to actually see there's actually five women uh, in this particular passage we're looking at here in Exodus, and, um, and God's people have been, uh, uh, the tribes have been in Egypt, and if you remember, Jacob uh, was uh, in high power, and they just were, had helped through the summer and helped the Egyptians, but the Jews are growing, and God's people were growing, and it threatens the Egyptians, and so we learned prior to this chapter is that they're getting nervous, and the Pharaoh is trying to figure out how to, how to rule them. They actually have now been enslaved, and his anger towards God's people uh, is so much so that he wants to kill and murder all of their children and control them in that way, uh, um, to kill the children, actually throw them in the Nile and kill them. So it's a very pivotal time. It's a time of slavery and difficulty. And so we'll get to see some of the beauty of the, of the faith and the womanhood and God using them here, and I hope it will encourage you uh, this morning. We recently, as a family, looked at this passage uh, together, and Macy Grace said, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. I love to see uh, how God uses women and their faith and their strength. So we'll look at three things this morning uh, as we segue to the Lord's table uh, about these uh, women, and we will look at um, just the pain that they have, uh, the, the glory that we see in them, and as well, we'll also see the hope that God shows us uh, through, this, uh, through this transition uh, uh, between where God's people are, are under the rule and on a ro- way to being uh, led out of captivity and how he uses these women, the hope that we see here. Um, so it, I want to just say this morning that um, at some level, uh, womanhood, this will be a little bit about just womanhood uh, and also just motherhood. They're kind of intertwined together in, in their essence. And so I hope I'll be able to draw some things that will encourage us. So let me pray. Father, um, would you help us to really see your faithfulness the morning? And I pray particularly for, um, for the, uh, the women here, God, this morning all that are present, young and old, that they would, that your scriptures would um, be illuminated to them, and they, may they be encouraged, may they be convicted, may they, may they feel your, your faithfulness and sense it. Father, may we as men look at this and see uh, your faithfulness as well, and be encouraged by the, the mighty women of this passage, and, uh, and your youth, uh, your use of them. May God, you Help us um, this morning and meet with, meet with us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, well, as we begin, we'll kind of be looking at just the pain and the difficulty uh, that uh, is a little bit revealed. And most of that comes from the setting, uh, the setting that the women find themselves in. Like I said, this is a time where uh, the king of Egypt has doubled down in slavery and trying to really put a lot of 
uh, uh, pressure and, uh, and difficulty for the lives of the Jews, and now it's still not helping. They're still growing. And so now he's going to issue this edict to, to have the midwives, this plan, to put them uh, in a... Um, uh, uh, infanticide, to kill the children. So as we get there, I want to also just remind you that the pain that, that is being experienced by the women and even everyone at this point is also uh, the, the pain that starts from Genesis, from Chris mentioned it in his prayer, the fall, that there's a lot of things going on uniquely here just for the women that are at play, not just their circumstances. So let me just be mindful here and let you see Genesis 3.16, which Chris prayed that to the woman uh, he said, and this is the fall. This is after Adam and Eve had eaten the fall. It says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, when you look at the design of what God, we believe God's uniqueness and how he made the woman in the Genesis story in 1 and 2, Genesis 1 tells us that they were both man and female made in God's image, and the woman equal in her dignity and worth. This is a very liberating uh, passage, the Pentateuch is, to everyone, because women were not thought of as equal as men. So the fact the Pentateuch shows this, that they're made in the image, that really even nobody else other than the kings, most people thought were made in the image of God. So Genesis is saying the woman and the man, Genesis 1 tells us that they're equal in their dignity and their value. Genesis 2 tells us that there's a difference between them and something unique, the uniqueness that is different to them. Same in their dignity and worth before God and their call to rule and subdue the earth and be fruitful and multiply, but there is some difference in that. The main difference you'll see in the uniqueness of woman is this, is that she is a life giver in that way. That everything about her life is her body and everything is to be a life giver. We'll look a little bit more in the glory of that. But I want you to say that in that, she's a life giver. Now, the very thing that she comes, one of the things she uniquely can do is give life is now fallen. And, and God in the, in the curse, he doesn't curse it, but we clearly states that this will be difficult for the woman. So it's hard to be a parent. I'm a parent. It's hard in general for men and women to lead and be parents to that. But I will say the scriptures tell us that the woman has a unique struggle, something that's just a little unique for her in relating to the womb and childbearing. And, uh, and that is in play all the time. Whether it's the absence of the womb, we see the story of over Rachel and Sarah and those in the barren womb and and so many things, the death and pain and around it, it's not just giving birth. It is actually there's something always uniquely a struggle for a woman when it comes to relating to the children and parenting and the womb. So that is at play, and it's going on. So not only is that going on underneath this, in the scenes, but then let me just paint a few things. There, right now, God's people are slaves, so they have no rights. So she's a woman who's a slave. Midwives here, we hear a little bit, we, ladies we look at, we see the midwives, we'll talk about them in a minute. But midwives themselves were usually, most historians say, usually the women who did not have children on their own. So they, uh, they were, they, in a sense, they felt great shame that their womb was closed. And yet they were called to actually help in the birthing process of that. That meant that they were oftentimes viewed, the conclusion was if you couldn't have children, you were cursed. That's the way the culture thought about it. So shame, difficulty. Slaves, weak, powerless, oppressed. When Paul refers to the women as the weaker vessel, meaning just that, the, that we think that that's mostly referring just to meaning that, that, that there's just physically are not as strong. And we know that, that the, that the, 
that the chest muscles are two and not one muscle. Why a man can bench press more than a woman and why, and why because it's one muscle versus two and the, and the records of that. There's something about just being powerless and imagine being oppressed in a, in a, at a time and that be your case that you uh, are weaker in that sense physically. Then they have the lies of the Genesis. And not only lies of Genesis are in play, but not only that, I mean, polygamy, even among God's people, it's not well for women. Women in this culture are viewed as property, simply just as property. There was a reason in Genesis 2 that the Genesis 2 story tells the man to leave and cleave and not the woman, because Genesis 2 is correcting that the woman thought, I'm just property, I exchanged from one man to another. But Genesis 2 has lifted them up. But God, even in his forbearance, it was wrong for God's people, for them to have multiple wives in that. Why was that? Because they were property. It is a situation for these women that is dire. It's difficult. It's not easy. We're just reading it here in a few 10 or 12 verses. But there's a lot to it that's going on. And it's a very difficult, difficult time. And on top of that, you're being born at this time uniquely. The king that you live under has decided if you have a child, it'll be thrown into the Nile. Now, most commentaries think that the Nile had tons of tributaries and little rivers that, that kind of fed into it. So it wasn't like, you know, bring them all to the, to the banks of one Nile. Like they would just, wherever the closest water was that fed to that, that's where the children were taken. So that sounds other, maybe, for then. But it's still true today in many ways. We're 103 years in our own country, which is nothing in history, where women couldn't vote. White women got to start voting in 1920 in this country. Of course, the African Americans, blacks didn't get to vote until 1864 in the Voters Act, right? But Property, exploitation, this summer, um, while we were at General Assembly, which is the highest kind of gathering every annually for our uh, denomination, we were in uh, Birmingham, and we went to um, uh, something on the sex trade and, and the, uh, for women and the, the underground stuff that was going on, and there was a seminar for that, and we went to hear that, wanted to hear kind of what was going on, there was a, a ministry that was sharing about that. And we were sitting in Birmingham, Alabama, which sits halfway between, uh, almost halfway between Atlanta and New Orleans. As we were sitting there, they were saying, currently at that moment, while we were gathering in this spiritual place, that we were sitting on the most major highway, the major, what has become the major highway of sex trafficking for women, from New Orleans to Atlanta. And how many of the police were stopping it in Birmingham that moment? We wept. Right now, they, they gave the numbers. I don't remember what they were happening while we were sitting there. It's rampant. It's everywhere. And although women um, are not technically property, pornography is rampant, which says women exist for my pleasure. You're nothing more than a piece of flesh as it ramps up. It's inside and outside the church. We objectify them and even in our coarse joking among that, I mean, are we really that different? Sometimes I wonder, right? We look at that, oh, that was them. 
And the same lies are in play today for every woman in this room that from the Genesis story, the main lie of the Genesis story, she comes out of that is this, is that am I valuable enough? Am I lovely enough to you? It says that she will have a desire for him and he will rule over her because she was made perfectly for him. And when the first time he saw her in Genesis 2, he's like, you have everything I hope for, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now sin has come and she wonders, am I cherishable? Am I worthy? Am I, am I worth loving now? That's the woman's unique lie. And it's still in play today. Heck, we can't even, we struggle, this is no joke, this isn't political, even to define a woman. So, we can identify at some level, and maybe we can't at some level as well, the pain of these women was difficult, it was real, it was present. his mom, Jochebed. And can you imagine nine months of trying to figure out how to navigate this oppressive culture? Hide your belly. Preserve my son for three months. Actually, the passage tells us that she got to a point where she can do it anymore. A mom, I, I read that and thought, that's a mom that's worn out. of much pain but we see them and the struggles inwardly and outwardly but then we move to the glory in the passage and I want to go back to Genesis and remind you of the name in the Hebrew that describes the woman who is given as a helper the first time there's not something good remember she's not less because she's made second. Actually, I would argue that Genesis 2 crescendos to the woman because she's the glory of man. Just the same way that Genesis 1 crescendos to the creation of man through creation. Genesis 2 starts with him and crescendos at her. And the word helper there in the Hebrew is the word ezer. It's rooted and founded in that. And it's a life giver. It's that there was something he couldn't do, that it was incomplete to be there. And so God created a woman to be the ezer to man. But the word translated as helper is not about making brunch and darning a man's socks. This word means an ally. It literally means ally or rescuer, someone who comes running when the people cry out for help. And ezer drops everything to save those in need. That's kind of the language around the word. You keep It's a rich, exploring word from all kinds of commentaries. But in some level, it carries the idea of savior or hero. I mean, that's the way it's used. And now look at these verses here. We know it's used in Genesis 12. Twice. There's one other place, I forget, two others. But from here, other than Genesis, the two times the word is used, the rest of the time, guess who it's referred to? It's referred to Yahweh. It's in his context that he's referred to. I'll give you a couple of Psalms here. Look at Psalm 3320. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Ezer and our shield. God is our help. That's the same root word. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord, Psalm 115, 9 through 11. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, for he is their help, Ezra, and their shield. Do you see that? That's who the woman represents. That's who she is. When she comes on the scene, she is that. 
It's not barefoot and pregnant that we joke about in the South, right? It's unbelievable. And I hope you see it in these women. Because let me, let me just say this. Because of the women here, the midwives, Moses' sister, even the Pharaoh, it's hard to know her motives, but at least she was compassionate, right? Probably, because she's a Gentile. And his mom, right here in this everyday faithfulness, facing all the lies, the curses, everything. You're a midwife, and you're standing before a king, and you're talking to him, and he's, <laughs> he's king. You're not. You're a slave. You're a woman. You're way down on the totem pole. In the midst of all that, this everyday life, faithfulness of women, eight million people are saved in one city. Moses will be the one to lead those people. Exodus will be the greatest story in the Old Testament that will parallel what Christ will do. Jesus will be the new and better Moses who leads us out of a captivity far greater than that the oppression of the Egyptians. But it was the women. It was their faith. We stand today. The lineage of Christ was among the tribes. Now she's a Levite. Uh, Moses is a Levite. But Jesus was the, of, the, of the tribe of Judah. Now, it was a little bit interesting to think about that because Elizabeth and Zechariah were Levites, and she was the cousin of Mary. Remember that? But Mary, and, and he's the tribe of Judah, and in that. But there, never mind. It doesn't matter. There's all kinds of reasons for that. But I just want you to know that Judah, the tribe of Judah, was among the Jews now. Guess how the lineage of Jesus is saved? By the women and preserved. And so... It's great glory. In verse 17, the midwives. Look at the midwives in this. They, it says in verse 17 uh, of chapter 1, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. They're standing before the king right here, and they are slaves. They're women. They're, they're, they have shame because they can't have children. I mean, they are, they're low on the totem pole, and they're standing before the king. But look at them. They don't buckle. Because the fear of God, their connection to God is greater. And then they serve a far greater king than the one there before. They lie in order to preserve. Which, by the way, this is a fun thing. It's okay to lie. If it's righteous and true, not all lie is a sin. They lie. So you can play that. We play that sometimes. Uh, Rahab did that to protect the spies. You know, we say, you can say, I, I, who I lied? I'm lying to you right now. You know, don't do that much. But... <coughs> And God dealt with him. And see that, what it tells us, and that a nation was blessed. The midwives said to the fair um, Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth, they gave their life. And it tells us that, the, that a nation was blessed through it. Jochebed, who's Moses' mom, she conceived and bore a son. And when she saw him, he was a fine child. She seed him, this is verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. When she could not hide him any longer, she took him for a basket and made bull bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. That's, um, that shows that they were probably under Egyptian rule there because that was Egyptians did that, not really the Hebrews did, but they would have probably adopted some of their things. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds, which I've already mentioned to you. She faced the responsibility of bringing a child into this world. And for three months, she had to come up with a plan. She had to think about it. And listen, she was willing to let go of him twice. The cool story is, right, she lets him go, and then the sister says, uh, in, in, she jumps in and says, you might need someone, a nursemaid, to take care of him. She goes to get her mom, which is a cool thing, by the way. Are there sweet providences in life when we trust him? He reminds us, I'm still there. He didn't get to keep, she didn't get to keep Moses. 
but she gives them away and leaves it just a few things a little bit longer. But even in that, she's willing to think long-term, and hers is forced all that, but she even knows that I am made to send him out. I've got to think bigger for him than just him and me. Now, the fall makes that really hard for women. But she's thinking that way, and she pushes and lets him go. The sacrifice, the willingness, the fear. And Miriam, in verses 4 and 7, she stood at a distance. And here she is, a young woman, not yet a mom, but a part of, of this process. And just being faithful to the day and caring for her brother. And doing her uniqueness to that. And listen, her great faith. So most commentators say the fact that she stood up, she was watching from the distance and saw the Pharaoh. And they would have known where the Pharaoh was coming. And she jumps out and says, hey, hey, have you thought about somebody might need a nursemaid? They would have said the courage to do that would have been unbelievable just to speak. And for her as a young girl to speak to, to a, a royal family member. But her courage in that moment to risk that. And then the wisdom to think, I'll go get my mom. You see the glory of them being Ezra's. Saving, nurturing, preserving. Do you see their courage? Do you see their faith? I hope that that encourages you. So let's finish with where is their, where is their real hope? And here's the hope of the women. The hope is first this, that God is always working. He's always working. And he had made a covenant with his people. And a matter of fact, in that Genesis 3, 15, he had said that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. He had made a covenant and that there would be one who would conquer sin. And he would keep this and he, he had just said to Abraham, I will be Faithful to my people, regardless of their faithlessness, or regardless of how faithful they are. God is always working. And there's no way they could have known that Moses, the one, the new Noah who passes through the water, to bring salvation, if you will, exodus for God's people. No way they could have known that. This is just regular old, everyday stuff. And yet God is working. You and I get to see it. We get to know the irony of it is, is that the king thinks he's initiating something that's going to actually work. But what happens? The peoples, they, may, they have more children. The, the text tells us that they keep multiplying and that they have more and more. And he thinks he's in rule, but he's not. And guess what? He's going to kill, but actually the true, there will be one who will come and actually the firstborn of the, Israel, uh, firstborn of the Egyptians will be the ones to die. Who's really king? And there will be a Passover. Led by Moses, the one that he's initiating. He's, it's the same thing. Just as it felt like, seemed like Jesus was dying and losing and we were losing on the day. He looked at the king and said, the power that you have, you only have the power my father gives you. I'm ruling this. I'm in control of this. That's what's going on. The women have to know that. Our hope, women and men, is always this, that God is executing his plan. And therefore, we can be freed up to be faithful in the day for day after day. 
because he's executing his plan and he's the one doing it, take a deep breath, Mom. God was using the women, but it was God doing all this, working within them. Take a deep breath. You're only an image bearer of the angel. You're not the true one. What do we do? That's our hope. And if moms aren't the ultimate savior, then there's hope. Because there's also pain around moms that are inflicted. The fall has made moms sinners as well. Which really speaks more. Did you know this, that Miriam, which we think this sister is Miriam, Miriam actually really messes up later in the story. She challenges her, her brother Moses and whether or not God called him to be the one to lead them. You know that? She was cursed with, with leprosy. And Moses actually goes and plays for her healing on behalf of her. Miriam went perfect. She got too big for her britches. Caused a lot of turmoil afterwards. Jochebed, the mom of Moses, guess what? Moses' dad was his mom's nephew. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Say it a different way. Moses' dad married his aunt. So there's hope. And look at these women and say, I do want to, I want God to use me and be in that. But at the same time, folks, it's the best news for all of us is that we're not the Ezra, the mighty Ezra that's full of it. And it's okay, moms. May God use you or not. And also, you'll screw up. It's a lot of pain. And it's difficult. But there is one who is. A couple of things to encourage you. God always sees you, moms. He knows whose names are mentioned. The women. Guess who's not? The king of Egypt. God wants you to know that he sees that. And he sees you today. And your story and your son. We actually learn Miriam and Jochebed later in, in chapter 6. No one else's name other than Moses is mentioned here. So let that sit on you, that God dealt with them, and he sees you and your frustration and saying, and that. But let me just, let me finish with this last thought. So if God made women uniquely in their role to bear the image of God as a life giver, he made them that way, then when sin comes, why in the world would he frustrate the very thing that's the most glorious about a woman? Why would he do that? Which, by the way, the men, we had to answer this question at our men's retreat. Men were made for the dirt, and work is cursed for them, and why would God Curse the very thing that man can do the best. But I flip it to the women. Why would God make you as a life giver, that uniquely how you bear his image, different from the man, same as equal worth and everything, and then actually frustrate the very thing that you were made to do? Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. What I think. Because in the fall, the woman could over-identify or wrongly relate to the womb 
and her identity would become around a woman. And it frustrates her so that the woman will go to God for help and realize you're defined by your relationship with me. And as you let me look at you the way he said, it says that he dealt with the Midnites well, he, met, he dealt with them well, that he looked at them and he loved them. And so that the woman would be connected to God for help. And so he frustrated this. Why? So he could be near to you. And that you would depend upon him. And walk closer. And then out of that dependency and weakness. He might use you. For his fame and glory. May he might sustain you through all the things that are before you. What a gracious God. God loves you so much, women, mothers, to not let you have the thing that at the fall you think might give you all the joy in the world. Even your children fell in comparison to the goodness of God. And so he created grouchy to have him so therefore you might appropriately love and relate to Let's pray as we come to the table. God, as we, um, as we come to this table today, we come, we come thankful with that very mindset that you um, that you love us so much that you will go to great lengths. Like frustrating our purposes as men to make work difficult and curse the ground and make childbearing difficult and the pain. And you will do that. One of the reasons you do that, God, is to drive us to you. And, and then, Lord, you give us this meal like we have today in order to um, remind us of what we so quickly forget. That you are working. That you will come again. That your, your, your promise is true. And that you go and prepare a place for us. And in the meantime, you want to sustain us. Just the way you sustained Jochebed and Miriam and, and Shifra and Pua. You sustained them. May you help us remember that. May you realign all of our souls today. And encourage us. As you encourage the weak. Would you encourage, would you humble the strong? Would you strengthen us? we come to this table together. In the name of Christ, we pray.